Well, hey, everyone, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined today by Pastor Ross, Pastor Eric. And today's going to be fun, guys, because we're starting the first of four weeks in our new series that we're just calling Prodigal. And we're going through the story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. And um, and we're going to be spending some time on the different characters in the story. Week one, today, we're going to talk about the prodigal son. So it's a pretty famous parable, but I think there's going to be a lot of insights that, that people have never real, really understood before. So I think there's a lot to learn here. And, and it's a very emotive series because we're going to be talking about someone who's far from God. And, and we all have people like that in our life. Or maybe you're listening to this and you're one of those people. So guys, let's, let's just, you know, today we're going to talk about the prodigal son. Next week, the father. In week three, we're going to talk about the elder son which will be really interesting for people who feel like they've kept themselves a little bit clean. And so that's really for those people. And then in week four, we're going to just talk a, a little bit about how to handle a prodigal, what to, how to respond to a prodigal in your life. Um, but what we're talking about just sort of in, in the big picture is the difference between rule breakers and rule keepers. And so I think it's great we've got you two in the, in the studio today because my guess is that Eric, which one would you say that you are? Oh, I'm definitely the rule follower. <laughs> that would that would make right. No, I'm the I definitely have struggled following other people's rules, so I would be the rule breaker, yeah. Ross, how would you self-identify? I'm definitely the compliant person. I yeah. have this inner inner thing that says don't go out that boundary. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that I'm probably more like you, Ross. Although there is just a little bit of of rebel in me, um, you know. I don't follow the speed limit all the time. I, uh, <laughs> I think I lied one time. No, just kidding. Yeah. I'm, we're. All, I mean, the truth, Ross, is even guys like us who may, maybe our stories are a little bit, a little bit more maybe like the elder brother's story. Mm-hmm. And Eric, I think your story, and we're going to he- hear it a little bit today. Your story probably is more like the prodigal son story. But what we're going to learn is that God's grace extends to all of us. Whether wherever you find yourself on a spectrum, rule breaker, rule keeper. In fact, if you're talking about this with a mentor or in a small group, I encourage you to put yourself on a spectrum. You know, on one side of the spectrum is a rule breaker, on the other side is a rule keeper. Put yourself on that spectrum. If you're doing this with your family, maybe spend some time and and everyone can debate who's where on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. That might be a fun little. Uh, icebreaker for this lesson. Yeah, I got a funny little story. Just last week, me and some of the pastors went out to lunch, and um, we were in a group of four, and two of us wanted mod pizza, and two of us wanted Chipotle. And so me and one of the other pastors went to Chipotle, said, we'll meet you over there. And so we grabbed our food to go. We went inside the pizza joint, and we sat at this, this table we did, and, and we sat down with our big old bags from Chipotle at this table that's in this other business while they're in line. And the, pa- and the guy that I was with, he's like, we should go ask them if this is okay. I feel like they're looking at us and giving us dirty looks. I'm like, dude, sit down. <laughs> Nobody cares. We're going to eat and we're going to do what we want in here. Don't bring attention to us, right? Like that's, the, that's what we do as rule breakers. We, we've learned how to you know, maybe manipulate <laughs> in the way it's like, don't go tell them, don't go bring attention to us. Just be confident that 
we can do what we want to do. And he was having a real hard time with that. He wanted to go, you know, follow the rules. So Eric, Jesus told this parable for you. <laughs> so let's get into the parable. So here's a parable, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 11 and 12, which is where the prodigal son parable starts. But later on, next week, we're going to talk about how this is really tied into two parables earlier in the chapter. But for now, let's just start with this story. Jesus tells this story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Okay, so the younger son is you, Eric. The younger mm -hmm. son is the rule breaker. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not make a big deal of it. We can sit at this table, just don't even bring it up. Maybe even <laughs> more than that, right? He's actually, what, what's happening here is, is really, I think, a, I think pretty offensive to the Jewish listener 2,000 years ago, right, Ross? Because, because let's unpack some of the Jewish rules for inheritance, so that we really understand, I think, the shock value of this story that Jesus is beginning to tell. Yeah, that's a really good point, to try to put it into the shoes of the original hearers. So in the Jewish context, you know, uh, this son couldn't wait till his father passed away. That, that would be a, in any context even today, that you're going to get the inheritance when, when your parent dies. So there's a sense in which the son is almost saying, like, Dad, you're dead to me. I just care about what you got. I don't care about you. Just give me your stuff and see you later. So that, that would have really raised the hackles of the hearers for sure. Yeah, and you know, I think if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, way back in the Old Testament, it says there that when the man divides his inheritance, he must recognize the rights of his oldest son, mm -hmm. which we'll get to in week three, by giving him a double portion. He is the first son of his father's virility and the rights of the first born belong to him. So this, it seems like if you're going by the rules, right, that according to the Old Testament Jewish, the rules, that the older son would get two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son would get one-third of the inheritance. So we got to assume that's probably what, what the hearers are at least thinking is the older son, which we're going to get to at the end of the parable, the older son gets more than the younger son, but it doesn't matter. The younger son takes his, he cashes out early and, and what's a little bit shocking is that the father agreed to do it, right? That would have been shocking to the hearers. Yeah, that was an interesting question that I had as I read this. Like, why would the father agree to do that? Um, you know, but here's something about parables. We don't have to explain every detail. There's a main point. So we're going to try, you know, and when you interpret a parable, you, you try to figure out what's the main point, and all the details work toward that point. And so with, if the father hadn't agreed to it, there's no parable. There's no story. So it might just be simply a device of storytelling, Jesus is a master storyteller, to allow the story to, to unfold. Yeah. It could be no, nothing more than that. Well, I think, yeah, I think this would have a lot of application for the people he's talking to. Right then and there, they all know this, this law of uh, inheritance for the firstborn son. And, but I think that, you know, we know that the Bible says that it is profitable and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. It says that in 2 Timothy 3.16. And so that means that all of this stuff applies to us as well. And, and you know, the, the story of the prodigal son is used in so many different scenarios when telling the gospel. And um, I think that this, you know, as I've been thinking about it, like a practical application of this probably hits, you know, all parents, 
all parents probably have to deal with this time when their, you know, their teenage son or daughter gets to the inevitable place of where they know everything, what's good for their lives, and then they want to go out. Um, and we all as parents have to make that decision of whether we're going to, you know, stop controlling and let them go learn the hard way, possibly. I mean, that's, that's another little application, I think, of the story. Yeah, now before we get into the story itself, a couple more things about the Jewish rules. Two more things I think it's important to know when you're thinking about the story. The father could assign the assets before the de- before death. That was legal. You could do it. The father could say, yeah, you can, th- these are yours. This one-third is yours, young son, and these two-thirds are yours, older son. But the profits were legally his until then. So even if he says, you can have your inheritance now, this portion, this part of the property is yours, whatever... But the crazy thing is here, the son sold it. So he cashed out so that the father couldn't even, for the rest of the father's life, then he couldn't really benefit from the assets. So again, that's just part of the shock value Mm -hmm. for the listeners. And and the last thing I need to say about it is that dishonoring your father was a serious crime. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in our culture today, it's not maybe the shock value of dishonoring your parents is not that big of a deal. But in the Jewish sensibility, it was a big deal. Back to Deuteronomy, verses 18 to 21. This is a little bit shocking, but I'm going to read it because I think this is really relevant to the story. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. So that's this story. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders... This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And, and then all the men of, this, of his town must stone him to death. Okay, so maybe some listeners, modern listeners, weren't expecting that. But l- this is how it, how it ends in Deuteronomy. It says, In this way you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will, will hear about it and be afraid. Now, I think it's important to read. I think that's kind of a parallel passage so that modern hearers can really put themselves in the right frame of mind to receive what Jesus is trying to to put out there in this parable. This is a big deal. What the son is going to do in the story is shocking. And we're going to learn next week that what the father does is probably even more shocking, right? Yeah, I think that passage, obviously, in Deuteronomy is a build on the Ten Commandments. You know, when God first reveals his law to his people, we know that the, the commandment that says, honor your father and mother, right? I think this is, that's building on it. It's getting a little bit more specific on how to deal with it in, in uh, that the, their people at that time. But the law remains the same, is that uh, children are commanded by God to obey their father and mother, and this is a direct offense toward the law of God when this prodigal son does this. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I, I just noticed here as you're reading this, Brian? Uh, the parents come to the elders and say, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, refuses to obey. He's a glutton and a drunkard. You know, that's exactly the language the Pharisees used to describe Jesus. Mm. Exactly, a glutton and a drunkard. And, um, and as we go through this series, we're going to tie that all back together with the beginning of this story. But it's interesting that this gives me a little window in terms of how they saw Jesus. Mm. They saw Jesus maybe as akin to this rebellious son who deserved to be, you know, annihilated. Oh, that's good. That, that's so true. And Jesus understood that. And I think that's kind of why he told stories like this, because he did want them to... 
He wanted to correct their misunderstanding of the heart of God. That he he needed to correct that because you read something like the story that, that passage in Deuteronomy, and you get this idea that God is is vengeful, that God is mean, that God is just waiting to punish. And here Jesus comes in, and let's not forget that the story was probably first and foremost for the Pharisees. And again, we're going to get to that in week three, but let's not forget that this is who Jesus, this is his primary audience, and this this is why he's telling these parables to kind of get across the point of not just uh, not just what a what a rule breaker looks like and what a rule follower looks like, but more important, the main character in the story is the father, and father the father's attitude toward both the rule breaker and the rule follower. So again, today we're talking about the rule breaker. So let's get to his story, to the, as Jesus tells the parable, it, the first part of it is about the rule, the, the younger son, the prodigal son. And the first point really that we learn is that the farther you walk, the further you'll be. Verses 13 to 16, it says this. A few days later, the, his, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About this time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, I think it's interesting that at this point, uh, in the in the story, in fact, the Bible background commentary says at this point in the story, many of, many of Jesus's hearers may have been ready for the story to end um, like this: the son gets what he deserves; he's reduced to this horrendous level of feeding the most unclean animals. But we're going to find out that's not where the story ends. Now, before we kind of go any further, Eric. I think it's time for you to be honest about your story because I think, you know, you admitted that you relate more to this guy. We'll let Ross share his story in week three, but your story connects more to the prodigal. So so just tell us for a minute about your story, where you, you know, how you wandered from God and then how God even brought you back. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty uh, providential. Maybe you could say ironic, but I don't believe in coincidences that, you know, all of us in here in this room played a huge part in in uh, my faith in coming back to God and and knowing God. You know, Ross, who's here with us, um, was my childhood pastor, and he baptized me, I think, at the age of 10. And um, I had a zeal and a passion and a love for God, what I knew about him and what I believed about Jesus, you know, at a young, young age. But then when I, you know, hit my teenage years... Um, the pull of wanting to fit in, the pull of the world, the pull of the culture just kind of sucked me in. And my desire to want to be accepted um, kind of outweighed um, what I wanted to do in, in following God and, and pursuing God and uh, keeping to my faith. And so in my teenage years, I, you know, started going off into parties and hanging out with the wrong crowd and you know, drinking, you know, it, it was interesting. It called him a glutton and a drunkard, you know, in, in Deuteronomy. That that would have been me. You know, that was the son who is dishonoring his parents by going and, and living 
in such a way that uh, led me further away from my relationship with them and ultimately from God. And so that point is true. The, the, the farther you walk, the further you'll be. I walked pretty far away from God. I, uh, I did a lot of things that um, I hope that my kids will never, ever do, you know, um, getting involved in situations um, with, with, you know, the wrong people, with, with criminals, um, using drugs, and just getting to this point of where I've lost almost all my relationships and everything that I had. I was so far from God. Um, it was, it was tough, but the one thing I would say that, that, um, I can remember as the anchor, like the father, you know, my, my parents, um, were never going to abandon me. They never kicked me out. They never said, um, we're done with you. Um, they just kind of showed me the grace and love of God. And along with the church, you know, that uh, I go to now, you know, um, my mom would would go to prayer meetings and talk to the pastors, and you were one of them, Brian, and and the, and she would ask for prayer about about me, you know, that I would come back to the Lord, that I would come back. And so many years, probably, those were prayer requests from her. And then now, you know, eventually um, I came to my senses, which we'll see that that's what happens to the prodigal son. But uh, I came to this place where I was just too far gone, and I knew that I needed God, and I knew where I needed to go because I had already had that seed planted in me through my parents, through the church, through the Word. And and so eventually I got to come back to the church, and I had, you know, great men and, and people there to teach and mentor and guide and, and, and let me get involved. And, you know, here I am today, you know, part of the same church that uh, was praying for me now. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome. Well, and that's, the, that's where the movement, the, the second movement in this story then leads us to this point that you can turn back if you'll repent. And and it says in verse 17 that when this son finally came to his senses, mm-hmm. he said, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So I guess my question for you, Eric, is this... It's a simple point, but this point that you 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 can turn back, that God will take you back. You can turn back if you'll repent. We'll talk about what repentance means here in a second, but tell us just from your from your story or even from working with people, you work with a lot of people with addiction now. What is the mentality? What is the lie that that sometimes people believe when they're sort of feeding with the pigs? Well, I think it's, you know, I'm too far gone to to be able to be used for any good, to be worth anything. I think a lot of times people get to these low places in their life and they think that they've lost all of their value, maybe even in the eyes of God, lost all of their value and everything's ruined and I'm too far gone for things to be changed, I think is is the big lie that people believe. And so that's why it's very important to first help people understand in that scenario that no, God is good. He is a good father. He is patient and kind and loving, filled with grace and mercy, and he is ready 
to forgive you. If you're willing to admit the truth about yourself and agree with him that the way that you have been living has gone against his law, has gone and broken the rules, so to speak, if, if we're willing to get to a place where we're just going to tell the truth and say, you know what, I have sinned against you, Lord, and I have hurt other people, um, I agree with you that my sin is, is despicable, but I heard that you can forgive me. Will you do that? You know, I know what you've done on the cross. I know that you sent your son to die for people just like me, and so I want to be involved and included in that. Let me accept you and trust you. I believe you rather than my opinions and my ideas and my feelings. I believe that you can overcome this. Ross, let's talk about that word repentance. I think this really deserves some discussion, because the, the passage there says that the Son came to his senses, and what, what we read into that is this idea, this biblical idea of repentance. What is biblical repentance? Well, there's, a, there's two words in the Bible, that one in the Old Testament, one in the New, that come together to reflect what Jesus is talking about here. The New Testament word is, means a change of mind, a change of not just like, oh, I acknowledge the facts, but a change of the orientation of my thinking. And so his, the orientation of his thinking completely changes. It took a long time to get there, and you see the progression. He's going down you know, in his circumstances, and, and he didn't foresee there would be a famine, and, and boom. And so he's, he really hits bottom, right? Um, and, and so that got that, the circumstances penetrated through his perception of reality and perception of himself so that he had a change of thinking, a change of way of thinking about himself and life. And he says, oh, he came to his senses. And then, you know, people might come to that point, but they still might not, for, as Eric pointed out, for various reasons, they might not return to God. So that's the Old Testament uh, word for repentance, means simply a turnaround. I'm going one direction, and I do a 180, and I head back the other direction. And that's reflected in the prodigal. He says, oh, my father's still there. I could go back to his house. I could live as a high, as a servant. That would be way better than what I've got now. And so, so he resolves to, you know, the, the geographical uh, aspect of the story is interesting because Jesus tells says that he went to a distant land, mm-hmm. so he got as far away as he could. Mm-hmm. But now that so that illustrates now in turning around, he has to come a far a long ways back. Mm-hmm. So there's the there's the change of mind, and then there's the change of direction. Mm-hmm. And I would add a third thing, and I would say it's and it's related to the change of mind. It's related to both of those first two things is a change of attitude. Mm-hmm. The repentance is a different attitude. It's an attitude that says, I think you said it earlier already, Eric, that I'm gonna go God's way now. Mm-hmm. I, I like I'm done trying to do it my way. I'm done trying to um live according to my rules, live accord or not not rules, right? The rule breaker. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and so it really it's not just it's not just up oh, I got caught. I'm it's not just I'm sorry I got caught. It's a different kind of sorrow. It's what the Bible calls godly sorrow, mm-hmm. which is different from worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is up oh, sorry I got caught. And and for a lot of people who would say they're rule breakers, these are people who are just always sort of putting up a front and and they might show some some remorse but it's remorse that they got caught that's not what real 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 repentance is real repentance is saying i'm sorry that i that i broke god's heart i'm sorry that i 
that I'm so far away from from my loving father, right? Yeah, and he it's interesting. I mean, he says this, right? In in uh the passage, "Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you." Mm. That's a lot different from somebody today saying, "Well, if I've hurt anybody, I apologize." A big if, you know? Yeah. This conditional. He says, "No, I Father, I sinned against you." It's an honest admission that he's 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 really humbled. And the humility brings out the the truthfulness of his repentance. Yeah, that that kind of brings up. This is maybe a little nugget of of things to think about. You know, when when digging deeper into the Bible, into this type of story, but um, it brings up the question. You know, how did he get to that place of repentance? Was it just rock bottom? Was there something spiritual that had to happen on on the inside? He obviously already had knowledge of the Father's goodness. Like I talked about in my story, there was a seed planted in me from when I was younger, you know, so that brings up a theological question that I don't think that, you know, as you said, parables are, are stories, and they're really hard to dig out the, the deeper theological truth sometimes, but the, I, I was thinking about this passage when, when thinking about repentance, this kind of makes me think, it's in 2 Timothy Two, and it's Paul talking to Timothy, who's he's training to basically he's he's an elder pastor, and he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And you know, so there's this idea that through a seed of knowledge through words in the past, through people um, in your life, you know, bringing about God's word and truth, um, somehow implanted in a person, eventually God will like bring to life that seed, maybe in the prodigals, in my story for sure, but maybe even in this story, you know, he comes to his senses with the help of, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, convicting him of truths that he already new and in a sense god is is almost granting is what that verse says there's almost this this giving of the ability to even repent in the first place it's an act of god mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's good eric i imagine some parents in particular are listening eager to hear more about your story because they have you know a son or a daughter who is far from god how did you come to your senses I would say it it is very similar to this story, you know, hitting hitting rock bottom, you know, hitting hitting the place where I've gone farther than ever I ever thought I would go, you know. I had these even as a rule breaker, I had these limits. Well, I'm not going to break this one. I'm not going to go that far, but yet I did. Yet I did go all the way to the point of, you know, overdose, um getting in trouble with the law, um to a place where I never thought I would be. And, and really, I guess I would say that there were, there were moments in my life where I felt God experientially during those low moments um, calling me back. I felt Him. I, like, in a real tangible way, I felt God, you know, through even, um, you know, visions and memories and dreams and um, things like that, where I felt God was reminding me that there's a better way, there's a better path, I can turn back. And um, there's a specific story um, I remember of 
uh, watching a video about someone preaching on, you know, Matthew chapter 7, which is, you know, with some hard truths to deal with. It says, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, you know, only those who do the will of my Father. And, you know, throughout all my pain, I was like, well, you know, like I believe in Jesus and all that, but I got to this place where my sin was so great that I had to question, am I really a follower of Jesus? And if I die, which I had gotten close to, if I die... Will I really go to heaven? Real I, am I really God's son? You know, and I, I had to grapple with that in this, this deep place in my heart. And, and through maybe a healthy fear of the Lord in that, I started to pursue God with everything that I had in repentance. And, you know, later, yeah, it was revealed to me that God had me the whole time, I believe. You know, I think it's, it's hard to know whether your child is saved or not by their actions, you know, because like the prodigal son, they can go off and then, and, and then come back. And not everybody grows at the same, same rate in spirituality. And, and oftentimes people have to have different learning experiences. And, and so that's a really hard, hard thing to know whether your son or your daughter is truly saved or not. But I, I know that the Bible gives us these parameters, you know, if we practice sin right? Like First John talks about this practice of sin, we may not be a believer, you know, like anyone who loves the world, you know, doesn't have the love of the Father, like all these things that in Matthew 7 talking about narrow is the way that leads to life. And so all of those combined in me, you know, knowing God's word and being convicted like that through the Holy Spirit and um, in fear, uh, healthy fear of the Lord, I it led me to a place where I got to know. I got to have assurance of... I got to know. And, and through finding, finding that, through, through pursuing God, I started to realize, man, he is so good. He loves me. Like, he did so much for me, and I have been a wretch, a prodigal. And, and the more I read this word that he left for us to study and to to preach and to teach, the more I read this, I find out that God is such a good father. Why not accept that and take that in and, and pursue him with all my heart? And, and, and that's where I am today. I'm not perfect. You know, I still break rules, but he loves me and I have assurance of salvation. Yeah. And the story ends at least as, as far as the prodigal son goes, because there's a lot more to the parable, but the story ends with this really powerful thought that, that we can never outsin God's forgiveness. Mm. It says in verse 20, so, so the son returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. So we see this heart of repentance, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And so we, uh, you know, we see this, and again, the story's not over, but we see this, so far, this part of the story just shocking the hearers because they're expecting the story to end with him, you know, wallowing with the pigs, but it doesn't end but with him. But it could still end in their mind at this point, before you go on, Brian, let me in- yeah. interrupt. Yeah. It could still end in a way that they might relate to. The father could say, get out of my life. Right, hmm. right, and he doesn't. 
He doesn't. And again, we're going to get we're going to get more into the father's reaction because it takes we're, we really have to dive down into that because remember this story is about the father. But I want to bring in a definition of prodigal. If you if you look up prodigal, the Oxford definition is spending money or resources freely and recklessly wastefully extravagant that's what prodigal means now we we normally think prodigal means lost wandering away wandering yeah. away but actually technically the definition for prodigal is is someone who spends money or resources freely and recklessly wastefully extravagant and so it does apply to the son right the son has been reckless the son mm-hmm. has been wastefully extravagant and yet he didn't he didn't out sin God's forgiveness and God's love. Eric, you work with a lot of a lot of addicts and part of helping them to have recovery and victory is is helping them to overcome the lie that says God wouldn't want you back, you've gone too far. Yeah, I, and that's why we always have to start out with. I mean, there's so many practical uh, steps and solutions out there in the world about you know trying to help addicts, and and they're good, but they're not the greatest thing, you know. Because as we see with someone who is lost and broken and has been reckless, they need uh, an extravagant solution. They need something that's uh, going to reach the furthest extremes to help an extreme situation. And that's really the gospel. That's why we have so much hope in God through Jesus Christ is that he went to the extreme by sending his son to die for us. And so as, as extreme as we have been, right, he's gone further. He has gone um, just far far enough to take care of whatever we think was so so bad right he he went further to take care of that he he covers that and so addicts need that type of assurance and hope because it's really beyond what a person can do they can't you know clean themselves up pull themselves up by them bo- their bootstraps discipline themselves enough uh, to get rid of this sin problem that they have, that we have. And so starting with the love and grace of God is the foundation by which then we can go and say, okay, now he's given me assurance and love and forgiveness. Now I can build on that and say, all right, how can I start to structure my life in such a way that I don't fall back into this anymore? But it all is on the foundation of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, so Ross, let's be let's just be really clear with the maybe there's a person who's listening who identifies with the prodigal and even today they're saying I want to I want to come I want to come back to God or or maybe not even come back to God. I want to come to God for the very mm-hmm. first time, but they don't really understand all the details. You know what we say on at pursuegod.org is that we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. We don't start a relationship with God by cleaning up our act or, or trying to you know, make up for everything we've done that's wrong in our lives. So why don't we close this episode speaking to the prodigal about how do they, how do they receive God's forgiveness? Yeah, that's so great. Thanks, Brian, for, for asking about that. So here, the first thing is, we see it in the prodigal story. You have to admit your need. 
You have to admit your brokenness. You have to admit how far you've fallen away from God. But then recognizing the goodness of God, then you simply call out to Him. You, you come back, you, you, because you don't just call out to God and say, God, I want you to take away all my sins, but I'm still going to live with the pigs. I'm still going to you know, uh, reject mm-hmm. you in every practical way of life, uh, but I want a little bit of fire insurance, or I want, I want to mm-hmm. cover my rear you know, when, when heaven or when judgment comes. So there's this idea, a genuine, deep recognition of my need and brokenness and sin, and then a, a response to call out to God through Jesus Christ, because He did everything I need. He did everything I need to be right with God, to be forgiven. He's already done it. Jesus is enough. And so, so there's, there's, we're humbled on two counts. I'm humbled by op- owning up to my spiritual brokenness, and I'm humbled by realizing that only Jesus can solve that. And as you come to Him, then He says, okay, welcome. Welcome. I did everything you need. I'm so glad you came. Embrace with open arms. We'll talk about that next week. But it, it's a simple, it's simply a matter of that admitting, believing what he did, and then um, and then coming to him. So to our prodigal listeners out there, if you want to do that, I would encourage you to get with somebody, get with a friend who you know is a believer, get with a maybe a parent or a pastor or a small group leader or a mentor, somebody in your life, maybe somebody who shared this episode with you. And and you can find a great resource at pursuegod.org forward slash start. It will talk, it'll explain in great in better in even more detail what Ross just explained there. It'll give you a what's called a sinner's prayer, just an opportunity to put into your own words um, that desire to follow God and to trust in him for salvation. So pursuegod.org forward slash start. And if you want to talk about today's lesson with your small group, with a family, with a mentor, you can find all of these lessons at pursuegod.org forward slash prodigal. And don't forget to join us next week, because next week we're going to talk about the Father. And here's a little bit of a, a little tease for next week's episode. The definition of a prodigal is someone who spends money and resources freely and recklessly, someone who is wastefully extravagant. And actually, it's not just the son who's prodigal. It's the father. We're going to learn next week that the father is the real prodigal in the story. So join us next time.